portion of scripture there that uh, I hope will become more near and dear to your heart as it has mine in the past uh, couple weeks as I've studied on this, meditated upon it, trying to take these things personal for me because as uh, Pastor Trumpy's been talking about, you know, there's uh, crisis moments that come. We should be glad for them. Without those crisis moments, without those challenges and trials, we never will grow in the Lord and to be what he wants us to be. And so we should be thankful for all things and rejoice in our Lord and what he brings into our life path because it is for our good. If you really believe that all things work together for good, and we must, then we need to be prepared to, uh, to meet the challenges as they come in a way that's becoming before our great God and only. So, <clears throat> let me begin reading in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Paul wrote, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with his might, by his spirit in the inner man. That or for the purpose that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power, to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. <clears throat> the score of the Lord in prayer and we'll continue. <clears throat> Wonderful God, we are thankful for each that has uh, chosen to assemble for worship this afternoon. We thank you for how you've blessed us so far with, uh, with the teaching and preaching. Lord, uh, challenging and instructive. Lord, uh, what we need if we're going to be all that we can be for you. Lord, let it be that we could come now with open and surrendered hearts to receive truth, that you give us the ability to live the things that we know to do. You give us the ability also and the power to not do the things we should know not to do. I pray humbly in Christ's name, amen. So, <clears throat> Paul begins this by, and actually I call, call this message for this cause. So, what is this cause that he was talking about? Brother Chris talked about this a bit in his message the other night. It was the truth that uh, the answer, well, the answer to this is found in verse 14. The whole, the whole reason that he was writing this is about for the whole family in heaven and earth. He was talking, he wanted them to know that now in this dispensation, this time, there was no longer, God didn't see Jew or Gentile, of course he never had, that Samaritans or whatever people group you were from, you're all on, if you're born into God's family, you're all on the same level and all on the same page. And God wanted to see that they could, people from Ephesus, wherever, that they could serve God now together. Pulling on the chain, so to speak. That even in those years, in the, the early years of the Christian faith, that some of these, like in Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, Philadelphia, as well as in Jerusalem and in, in that country, that they would turn the, upside, the world upside down by their teaching, the preaching that they heard that they shared with others. And so simply he wanted them to know that you need to put aside any personal prejudices and just get on with the work. Again in verse 18, verse uh, part A, it says that we may be able to comprehend with all saints 
Paul wanted him to know, shaking him up a little, okay. This is where you need to be. We're all in the same family. If you've been born again into the family of God, we're all on equal footing. It says in John 1.12, to as many as received him, to them gave he P-O-W-E-R, power, become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so this is the first unction that he gives, and it's with a, with a, with a, with a real heart for these people. I don't know that if there was anybody that ever could love more for the, the congregations and the people that he had one to the Lord that he'd saw trained and nurtured, that he'd seen churches started, that, that Paul never forgot any of these people, never forgot any of these churches. And he ministered to them as best he could, near and far, in jail or when he was on the road, because he loved them so much and he loved his God and wanted to <clears throat> do the best he could for his, his God. And he says there, it's also an important in, in verse 14, Put your eyes on this. He says, for this cause, now this was for the cause of, of Christ, for the souls of men. He says, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was on his knees in prayer and he was on his knees in worship to his God. He wanted those people to know, and I'm sure that they did because they knew this man and they loved him. And they wanted, and now he wanted them to see, this is, this is what I have for you. This is something that's very, very important for you to know and understand about and to know and to live for. <laughs> then, in verses 16 through 19, Paul presents some matters in as he prays for this church. First of all, he, gonna, he prays in verse 16, he prays for the strengthening in the inner man. And number two, He's going to pray about that Christ would dwell in their hearts. Number three, that they would be rooted and grounded in love. And number four, that they would be spirit-filled Christians, spirit-filled believers. And so in that verse 16, it says that he would grant you, or for the purpose he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That word might is the Greek word dunamahi, which is actually the root word for what we get dunamas, the Acts 1-8 power that, <clears throat> that God gifts his people with for the matter of service. Um, and it came to me as I, as I was thinking on this, he's talking about the inner man, and certainly if there's an inner man, then there has to be an outer man, doesn't there? Okay, <clears throat> the outer man is the flesh, the inner man is the soul and spirit of God. Body, soul, and spirit, man is a creation of God. He's chosen to manifest himself that way to, to the world, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, prophet, priest, and king, and the man, he's gifted us with a body, physical body and a spiritual self, the inner man, the soul and spirit that exists forever. And here's an interesting thought that came to me concerning unbelievers, for those that are not in the family of God. Their outer man, that's this flesh, and the inner man, that which you and I are, the soul and spirit. If you've never thought on this, I want you to know and understand that the consciousness that you experience right now is gonna exist forever, ever and ever and ever. While this body for the, will die and it'll go to corruption, the unbeliever, um, the wages of sin is death, the same thing is going to happen to his soul and spirit when he dies. Without Christ, that soul and spirit is going to know nothing but corruption and destruction in the fires of hell. So his, the, the, the person that's sitting in this room right now without Christ, you're dead 
and you're headed to hell, it's just the same as your flesh is going to die and rot one day. Your, your body is going to go to hell and you're going to rot and you're going to pay and pay and pay for your sin debt. But for the believer, it's different. We all, we're, we're the same, same beings. We have that fleshly self. We have the spiritual self. For me, for the, for the believer... I'm going to die just like everybody else. It's appointed that a man wants to die. That's something we're all going to share in. My body is going to go to, go to the grave. It's going to rot. I don't care what happens to it. But my soul and spirit, my inner man, my inner man is headed this way when this body dies. In that, the inner and outer man are different, whereas in the lost person, your inner man your soul and spirit and your body are the same. They're dead and they're headed for corruption. Ephesians 4, and 24 says that you put off concerning the former conversation. He's writing, to, he's writing here to, to save people, the old man, okay, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust and renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put off, put on the new man, the regenerated man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The strength and power of God, and this is what a lot of this, this verses is really centered on. He wants them to understand they were going through struggles too as Christians, just like everybody else, just like we do today. But he wanted them to know that they could have strength, God's power, their strength, his strength in their life right now to meet the challenges of the day and then on. And he wants us to know today the same thing, that we can be strengthened by the power of God in our inner man, in our soul and spirit, even as we walk this life today to meet the challenges of this world. <clears throat> this is the power, the dynamic power, the power to, do, to be about God's work. Now, the strength and power of God in our lives can only, only come from one place. Sorry. Forgot. Should have reminded me. The strength and power of God in our lives can only come from one place, and that is through the Holy Spirit of God. When he comes into a life... He comes in with power, that Acts 1-8 power. That dunamis power, that power that only comes from God that, that God wants us to have to be a strength in our life. As his strength is without measure, we can draw upon that strength also as we go through life, especially in our service for our God, for our conversation or our lifestyle should be a hundred percent. Paul said, what's what all doeth? Do what? Do all to the glory of God. That's what he would have us emulate in our life. But sadly, most believers live like spiritual paupers when they're in fact possessors of limitless, limitless spiritual wealth. We are like the young man who was on a railroad platform many, many years ago begging money for food. He walked up to an elderly man and said, Sir, could you spare a dime? I had to know it a long time ago because a dime, I don't think it'll even get you a telephone call anymore. But when the old man turned, the young man saw the face of his father looking at him. He had not seen his father in 18 years. The father immediately recognized his son and embraced him and through tears said, a dime. Why, my son, I have been searching you for 18 years so that I could give you everything I have. And sometimes we're like that as believers. We go through life seeking out and trying to live on nickels and dimes when God has a fortune for us, especially in the spiritual sense. If we'll come to him, know him, and trust in him for everything in our life. God gives power in witnessing. 
God gives power in testimony. God gives power in prayer. God gives us power to resist temptation. God gives us the power to live victorious Christian lives, to be all that we can be for the Lord. That should be our goal each and every day as we rise and we face <clears throat> another day. So, he wants us to be strengthened with his power by the spirit in the inner man, our soul and spirit, our spiritual self, to be strengthened, to be that Christian soldier that can meet the challenges of life, to be out on that spiritual battlefield with that shield of faith, sore of the spirit, that we can be all that we can be in meeting the challenges of being who God wants us to be. He has a ministry for each and every one of you and me that are in his family. He wants us to be witnesses and testimonies of what he has done in our life. And the word dwell, it says there again in, in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That's the faith of <coughs> Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that you can be rooted and grounded in love. That again is that agape love. It's not phileo, brotherly love. This is agape love. That self-sacrificial love that God had for us when he sent his son to the cross to die for our sins. That is the kind of love that he bestows upon us. And that is the kind of love that he wants us to show to other people in the world. <clears throat> We're going to look at here in a little bit. That's the first, the first in Galatians 5.22, the first. Um, fruit of the Spirit is love. We'll look at that in a little bit. But again, he says, to be rooted and grounded in love, like the tree in Psalm 1, verse 3. He speaks in the first two verses about the Christian that, got, that he would bring blessing to them that has walked in, his, walked in his ways, that knows him as Savior, and in verse 3, we know the verse, it says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And so he gives a, some promises there about what God wants to do in and through our life. <clears throat> now, Everybody knows that Brother Girth loves flowers. What's this all about? This is a perennial, a volunteer perennial called a star flower. Now this little flower, this flower here came from the seed of a little tiny flower that I saw in the, in the far corner of my garden that I didn't use anymore. It was all weeds and, and willows growing up. And I saw this little flower come up. I knew it was a flower because it, at the end of the season it had a little bud on it and it had, a, it, had, it had a little flower on it. One flower. Well, the next year I went and looked for it again and it came up. Same place. And I began to I watered it. I give it, started giving some water from time to time. And it grew up a little bit more. Maybe six inches high. And it bloomed. A few more blossoms. And I harvested the seed from that little plant. And then this spring, I took that seed. And I put it in some of my flower boxes. And some of my pots, just like this here. This one right here. And it grew up to be all of this. Well, what am I talking about? Well, <clears throat> sometimes we're like that little flower. We're just content to be as we are. When God wants to take us, what I did was, I took, it out, took that seed and I put it in a place where I could water it, where I could feed it, where I could nurture it, and where I could protect it. And I did that. And this was the result. You see this little plant here? 
all these blossoms, all these future blossoms, every, one, every place you got on here, this tree is trying to make fruit. That's its nature. That's the nature that God wants us to have also, to be fruit bearers. That we could give evidence of our salvation and in our service. You guess you can't see on here, there's a, there's a few places on here you can actually see. Now this flower's starting to die and there's the seed. Well, you know, God wants us to take the seed of his word and he wants to sow it, doesn't he? He wants to take it out and he wants us to share it with people that they can have life and life more abundantly. I'll tell you something about this seed. It's very, very fertile. I had 10 or 12 seeds. I planted them, and everyone came up. Everyone had life in it. God wants us to be able to take and be like that to the world's people, to share the gospel, that they could be planted and rooted and grounded in the truth, that they can be all that they can be before the Lord. And I promise, uh, I promise to, uh, I'm going to harvest a lot of seed, and if anybody wants to get some seed, put some of those in your flower garden, do it, and then remember what it pictures. That God takes, he wants to take us, and he wants to put us in the best possible place where we can grow. He'll feed us, he'll protect us, he'll watch over us, that we can be all that we can be, that we can be fruitful, that we can multiply this soul and spirit in the lives of others, that others would be saved and brought to salvation, and that we could know that great blessing of simply that little boy faith. I don't know, there was nothing when, when I was young, there was nothing I treasured more than to be by my dad, working with him, and to know he was happy with me. But he's pleased with me. I lost my dad at nine years old when I was born again in 1982 at the age of 32 years old. I now have a heavenly father that's watching out for me, that loves me each and every day, and has the promise that when I get out of this world, I'm going to go home right to be with him. That's his promise to his children, to all his children. And so, here it says, in verse 18, let's go on, that we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. Well, one more illustration. <clears throat> we live in a three-dimensional universe. Again, we talked about that. God the Father chooses to manifest himself Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he, he created man with a body, soul, and spirit. <clears throat> Other offices of his, of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as prophet, priest, and king. But what is it talking about? The breadth, length, and depth, and height. Well, I understand length, I understand height, and I understand the depth. Length times width times height will give you the volume of this geometric figure. But what about this depth? I don't get it. Well, God's not talking about something here in the, in the physical plane. He's talking about the fact that God's love, uh, that we be rooted and grounded in love, that we may be able to comprehend or understand with all saints what is the length and breadth and depth and height. What he's simply talking about is, is that that God's love is so vast that it is limitless as himself. Um, there's nothing that can supersede to get ahead or be more than what God is with his love and that he has for us and he would emulate to the people around us. 
He prays again, I should go back, he prayed that God, Christ would dwell in their hearts. And this is important to go back to um, uh, verse 17. He wants that Christ would dwell in our hearts. At the moment of time that we were born into God's family, the Holy Spirit, and this is an awesome thing when you really think about it. God's, remember, talked about the lost person? That his inner self, his soul and spirit, is wicked, it's sinful, it's, it's corrupt, it's filthy with sin. The moment in time that the individual chooses to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, the Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. This is what really happens to the believer. When, when we trust in Christ, he washes our soul, sin-sick soul and spirit in the blood of his Son. And then he can move in to this dwelling, to this tabernacle, to this flesh. And that's an awesome thing just to contemplate that, that God would lower himself to do that because we don't stop being who we are in, this, in the outer man. That's the battle that Paul talked about that goes on between the outer man and the inner man all the rest of our life. The flesh wants its way and the spirit wants us to go his way, God's way. Well, that's a battle that you and I better get about, keep about, and stay about. Because unless we do, it will not dwell well with us. For the flesh is deceitful of all things. It can con you into going and doing things you never thought you'd ever do if you take off the reins of your heart. And so, again, that matter being rooted and grounded in love, God's love. That we remember what God has done for us out of his love. And that what we should emulate to others in sharing the love of Christ. The Bible says, let the love of God be shed abroad in our hearts. So, when the Holy Spirit of God controls us and we are walking in his power, we will prove it by the way we love the Lord and others. <clears throat> Donald Barnhouse pointed out that love is central to all the fruits of the Spirit. Remember, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, above such there is no law. Barnhouse writes, love is the key. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Long-suffering is love enduring. Kindness is, God, is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. Self-control or temperance is love holding the reins. Barnhouse had some things right there. In other words, there could be no fruit of the Spirit and thus no evidence of the presence of the Lord apart from love. He says simply, if you love me, keep my commandments. When the fruit of the Spirit is absence, so is the Spirit himself. Not in the matter of our salvation, but the given up control to the matters of the flesh. Paul is simply reminding us that love for the Lord and for others is central to our existence as believers. It is unnatural for a believer not to love as it is for a fish to run a marathon. The believer is given the love of God when he is given the spirit of God. To fail to love is as difficult as failing to breathe. The only way for a believer to not love is to be actively disobedient to the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in his life. You see, that's it, isn't it? 
there talked about, we, he, God wants us to turn over to him the reins, the steering wheel in our life, that he could guide and direct and control us as we go through life. We can claim any excuse we want to, but the fact is a lack of love is never the fault of other people. A lack of love in any believer's life is always a result of a disobedient, unyielded spirit of sin in our life. <clears throat> in fact, the believer who claims to love God, but who hates his brother, is a liar. That's what God says in 1 John 4, verse 20 through 21. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. That was the, the, part of the, the, the second part of the royal law, wasn't it? To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love thy neighbor as thyself, agape love. That kind of love that God had for us, he wants <clears throat> to emulate to others and share with others. That God can see Christ in us. <clears throat> As Spurgeon said of God's love, it is so long that your old age cannot wear it out. It's so long your continual tribulations cannot exhaust it, thank God. Your successive temptations shall not drain it dry like eternity itself it knows no bounds. And so, <clears throat> we've already looked at this illustration about this matter of the different dimensions and, and so on, the le length and breadth and depth and height. That is the measure of God's love for us. It's eternal, it's, it's infinite. <clears throat> it's, like, it's like that artesian well that it keeps replanting itself all the time the artesian wells can be a blessing as it brings forth the water and it brings it forth abundantly. <clears throat> but even in a greater way, that's only, there is no finite description that can really get to the depth of what God's love is for us. Can you really understand that he would give up his son, that his son would die and become sin for sinful man? Well, he did. That's the depth of God's love. There are people that go out on the battlefield and risk their life and do give their life for good causes. But in truth, it gains them nothing in matters spiritual. The four magnitudes of God's love describe an infinite, incomprehensible love, as A.W. Tozer wrote, because God is self-existent, his love has no beginning, because he is eternal, his love can have no end, because he is infinite, it has no limit, because he is holy, it is the essence of all spotless purity, because he is immense, his love is an incomprehensible, vast, bottomless, shoreless sea. We should remember that, that our God is a great God of love. <clears throat> and I know, I know that our God is a God of love But sometimes it's hard for me to believe that he created mosquitoes. <laughs> I just don't know. Except for maybe for grailing food. Okay, <clears throat> verse 19. He says, and. It's a, it says, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that he might be filled with all the fullness of God. The word and there is important because it's connected to all the other thoughts that he's presented in this, in this section of scripture. He says that you would be filled, be a spirit-filled believer. To be spirit-filled, one must first be emptied out of sin and self. 
This is not the same as indwelling of the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation. It's a one-time forever thing. But to be spirit-filled, because we deal with this matters of the flesh and the world, there are times when we need to be filled again with the Spirit of God for his power and, uh, and help. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul said, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and not your own? This is that the soul and spirit is just the dwelling place of this finite self. But <clears throat> Ephesians 5.18 describes where we need to be. It's about control. All about control. Discipline. I used to talk to my Sunday school class about that dreaded D word, discipline. Either you learn to discipline your life in this existence and follow the commands of God to repent and believe the gospel, or you will be disciplined for eternity in the hands of an angry God. So, Ephesians 5.18 says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Simple. Well, what we're talking about, in essence, is the matter of our sanctification. Justification is, happens at the point of salvation and is where we become freed from the penalty of the law. Our sanctification deals with the power of sin in our life and at the moment in time when we are saved, God removes that, and he said, sin shall have no longer dominion over, meaning it shouldn't rule over you, but we're still sinners, only saved by grace. And so what happens is, we need to fight for and relinquish control to the Holy Spirit and make sure that it stays there. A spirit-filled Christian is a powerful Christian. It's a matter of control of who has control in your or my life. Thus much of what it is to be spirit-filled is to cede control of self into the hand of God. This is a volitional act, just as ingesting alcohol is. When you put yourself, <clears throat> when you ingest alcohol, you put it yourself under its control. I did, uh, many years ago, I was taking some video classes at uh, uh, Alaska Bible Institute there in Glen Allen. I was taking them on video. I wrote a paper for one class on Bible wines and their nature using uh, Patton's book. <clears throat> and in the research for that, I came across an article written by a, a medical doctor. This is just some years ago. You won't see this kind of stuff in, in Reader's Digest anymore, I guarantee you that. But this study showed, the man said, he testified that in his studies, studying brain waves, he said at the moment of ingestion of alcohol that there was a change in, in the brain wave patterns. So I put that in there and, and you know, I took it for what it is. Years later, I was working at Gakona Junction Village. I cooked there, I was a supper cook, believe it or not. And uh, I was doing a lot of maintenance stuff, and we were closing down the hotel, big hotel, big restaurant. And in addition, closing it down for the winter, the boss is hauling everything off, we're taking back to, he and his wife back to uh, Anchorage. Worked all day, had lunch, had a lot to do. We worked, 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 worked. There was so many problems, it was just unbelievable. Late at night, nine o'clock maybe, we're still grinding away, still hadn't got everything lined up. I was having trouble getting the lines all blown out. And uh, I was just parched. I mean, I was so thirsty I could have drank a gallon of water, felt like. And had everything stored away in the van. Couldn't get at anything. Everything was shut down. And the, old, the boss is tapping his foot, you know, we gotta get going, gotta get going. And so I said, oh, thirsty, ain't he got something out there? I said, no, well, his daughter come along and says, I got a bottle of near beer. Uh, low, uh, it's, uh, it says on there it's like half a percent less of alcohol. Well, 
I was parched, I was thirsty, and so I cracked this thing open and I take a couple good slugs and immediately, immediately, my brain told me there's alcohol in there, buddy. <laughs> I like this. Put it down. That's, and it starts just with a little bit like that. That's the way sin works, you know. It starts with small beginnings and then it grows. I, was, I drank, I ran saloons. I ran the toughest saloon in this state up at Boundary Lodge years ago. I had shootings, knifings, all kinds of stuff going on there. <clears throat> that was in another life. My old man liked that life. It doesn't anymore. I don't want to go there anymore. Then, so, it's about who has control, who you give control to. The matter is, it isn't just alcohol that wants to control your life. Drugs, work, money, opposite sex. I don't know. There's as many little, little, uh, little G gods out there as there are people, I guess. Satan's got one for everybody. Pastor Humphrey talked about that matter of pride. Pride is what tells us I can get away with it. Yeah, yeah, right. There's a father up above who's looking down below. You gotta guard the heart, you gotta guard the eye, eye gate, you gotta guard the ear gate. What goes in makes the difference in who and you are before God. So we need to make some good choices. To rest in God's love, to be spirit-filled, is to let God work through us. Let him have control. Whatever you got to do to make yourself right, to make yourself fit before God, be holy as I am holy. <sighs> okay, I can't do that. Well, you better get trying. You better keep trying. Because if you don't, I know where you're going to end up. I know where I'd end up. I don't take, dare take my hands off for very long. And this, this wretched flesh wants to take over. So, let's wind up. Verse 19, it says, And to know the love of God which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly of all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. <clears throat> verse, verse 19 again says, and, starts off, tying this all together again. And in verse 20 it says, now unto him that is able. The phrase there, unto him that is able, is that that. Greek word dunamahi, from which dunamas comes from. It's actually the root word from which dunamas, the Acts 1-8 power, comes from. Unto him that is able. God is able. He is able to deliver thee, right? What is God not able to do? He is nothing. God can change your life. God can save your soul. He can lift you up and he can put you on on the high ground in life. He can bring blessing to your life in your family life. He can bring blessing to you in your personal life through the friends that you associate with. He can bless you through your prayer life as you pour out your heart to him about your love for him and the concern for the, for the world's people that are around you because we're able to access his power to do this. Again, when we take our, you know, I'm not for all this robot cars and stuff, but if we take our hands off the steering wheel of life and really let him guide and direct, then we're gonna find ourselves drifting into the exact place where God wants us to be in life. And He prays again that we would receive God's power in the inner man. 
soul and spirit to be about the Lord's work. That's what it's for. That's what God's gifts to us are for, that we could share with them there with others. And he says that God is able to do exceeding abundantly of all that we ask or think. Uh, that phrase has the idea of going above and beyond. God's ability extends, uh, exceeds the lengths to which God, our minds can think. His ability goes beyond the limits of what we can ask. Uh, there is no question in the minds of believers that God is able, but far too many of us fail to enjoy the privilege of seeing him do that in our lives because we fail to follow the pattern for living mentioned in these verses. We need to be sold out and surrendered to him. We need to remember that as a, would you want to bring shame to your, your earthly family? Hmm? How would you feel like that? To do something that your family name would be dragged in the dirt. I would think you would, you would abhor it more than just about anything in its existence. But how much more that our father's name would be dragged in the dirt by the way we live or something that we do in evidence to the world. It should not ever be named among us. But God is able to do abundantly above that we ask. If we ask him. If we ask believing. <clears throat> when we are walking in his power, verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. When we are walking in his love, verses 17 through 19, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the length and breadth and depth and height of God's love, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. That after knowing the, the, the love of God and then walking filled with the fullness of the Lord, um, then we are able to tap into the awesome power of God in our lives. When we are walking in him and in his love, he works in us and through us to accomplish the things he desires in our lives. In other words, he does, it does not fall to us to make the Christian life happen. Our duty is to yield to him. When we do this, his power transcends our weakness that enables us to live for the Lord and to accomplish great things for his glory. And so we need to pray believing that God is going to open that door with the native population. Whether it's in Akiak or Huna or Quethluk, but that he'll do it. I know that, I know I thought about writing a message on, on miracles. I'm working on one, but I'm, we're going to talk next week about prayer. More about prayer than anything. But we need to yield to him, to his power, and let him work, work through us. Uh, every true believer wants to have sweet fellowship with our God. We all want to live, we all should want to live cleaner, more holy lives. We all want to honor God and serve him faithfully. We ask for that. We pray for that. Often we think we will never achieve our spiritual goals and we can't in ourselves. But we can through the strength and the power of our great God. His power exceeds the limits of our weakness, and he's able to help us achieve holiness and godliness in our lives. And for the sake of brevity, I'm not going to look at verse 21, except to say that if you're saved, God wants you to obey the call to be baptized and become a member of this church. If you're not saved, why don't you come to him now 
and trusting him as your savior. Acts 2.38 says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for or because of the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When it comes to the matter of our service, we can't do our service for the Lord without him, and he will not do service through us, to the world without us. We're to be his visible, vocal, voluntary witnesses of his son and represent this book before the world's people. So I'll leave you with that. It's been an energizing study for me, coupled with the other messages that we've been getting. I hope that um, we get more serious about the matter of prayer and accessing God's power in your, in your life, in my life. It's there before you, you know. It's, it's kind of like that, you know, that wall socket on the lamp. Unless it's plugged in, you can't access the great power of the dynamo, the generator back downtown or wherever. We need to get plugged into the Lord. We need to be close to him. We need to be emptied out of sin and self. And then he can work through us. He can evidence his power through us. I'm not claiming any great things, but from the moment in time that I heard about Noah, I prayed that he would get out of the hospital. They were saying maybe weeks or months. I was praying that, that God would show himself strong and get him out of the hospital within a week or two. Well, he got out in two days. I didn't do that. But God is doing it for Noah. He's doing it for his family. He's doing it for that, that church plant. That they can know that that man is, is there with them, that God loves them, and he's taking care of them. God is jealous for this church and he wants to use us and get us headed forward in his service for Christ. Um, that, that's going to come through souls that are surrendered for service or whatever God would have us to do for them. Okay. I'm not going to offer any invitation except uh, Pastor Humphrey if you have something.